This is TSC Now, a podcast by the Tuber Sclerosis Alliance. Hello, and welcome to the November episode of TSC Now. As always, I'm your host, Dan Klein. Wherever you are listening, I wish you and your family a restful, safe, and happy Thanksgiving. This month, I caught up with Dr. Nishant Gupta, Associate Professor in the Division of Pulmonology, Critical Care, and Sleep Medicine at the University of Cincinnati, where he also serves as the Director of Interstitial and Rare Lung Disease Program. We talked about what researchers and clinicians have learned so far about how COVID-19 impacts those with TSC and LAM, what potential future vaccines mean for those affected, and how individuals with TSC and LAM who have already contracted COVID-19, confirmed by testing, can participate in an important natural history database study to help us better understand the risk and severity of the virus. I'll post a link with more information about that study in the show description if you're interested in learning more. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Dr. Gupta. I'm now joined by Dr. Nishant Gupta, Assistant Professor of Medicine at the University of Cincinnati and Medical Director of the LAM Clinic and Research Network. Dr. Gupta, thank you so much for talking to me today. Thank you, Dan. It's my pleasure. So we're now several months into the COVID-19 pandemic. You know, based on some early studies that have been done and just anecdotal evidence of people with TSC and LAM contracting COVID-19 what do we know about how the virus affects them? Yeah, that's a good question, Dan. It's uh, and a question that I think a lot of the patients and families with TSC and LAM think about uh, on a day-to-day life. We don't have a lot of evidence to answer this question, but anecdotally or based on our experience, it doesn't appear that patients with TSC or LAM are at any increased risk of either acquiring the disease or suffering from complications of the disease. The risk factors really seem to be similar to the rest of the population where the presence of medical comorbidities like diabetes, high blood pressure, concomitant lung disease, or advanced age seem to be the most significant risk factors for complications. Another potential risk factor is being on an immunosuppressant, which many people with TSC and LAM are either on everolimus or serolimus. Do taking those medications make people more susceptible to contracting the virus? And then on the flip side, there is also some anecdotal evidence that actually taking those medications may protect people from a more severe reaction to the virus. What should people do who are on these immunosuppressants? Yeah, Dan, there are a, a lot of layers to this question, and this is a scientifically a very interesting question. First is this notion that does being on this immune suppression make you more likely to contract the virus? That, you know, being on serolimus or everolimus is not going to make you more likely or, or at more risk of catching the virus than other people who are not on the medication. It theoretically might put you at an increased risk of complications because your immune system is not as strong as, say, someone with a normal immune system in fighting the virus. Having said that, there is a lot of evidence pointing to a potentially beneficial role of serolimus and everolimus in viral diseases. This evidence is mostly gathered from patients uh, with influenza or influenza-like illnesses, but there is uh, hope and belief that it might carry over into COVID-19 as well. As an example, 
example, we are currently conducting a study where we are seeing if giving sirolimus to patients who are hospitalized with COVID-19 could have a beneficial effect on them. The study is currently ongoing. At this time, we don't have the results to share, but I wanted to mention this just to make the point that the drugs like sirolimus or everolimus, whether they are truly a risk factor or a beneficial agent are not known. So what I tell patients and families is right now, the best thing to do is to keep things very simple. What I mean by that is if you need to be on sirolimus or everolimus for your tuberous sclerosis or for your lamb, then you should take it. If you do not need to be on the drug, then starting a drug in the hope that it would have some benefit for COVID-19 is not a good idea. So in a sense, let the indication of tuberous sclerosis complex or LAM guide you whether you need to be on treatment or not. We do not recommend that patients who are on treatment stop treatment because of the fear of COVID-19. You talked about the study that you're doing looking at the potential benefits. Is the hypothesis that perhaps these drugs may tamp down on the cytokine storming or what are the other potential benefits? There are multiple reasons why these drugs might help patients with COVID-19. One is, as you said, that they might help with blunting the cytokine storm. This is a loosely applied term, which essentially means that as your immune system gets revved up while responding to the virus, it may cause some collateral damage to your own organ systems. And that's the simplistic way to understand cytokine storm. Other reasons why these drugs might help is that they have been shown to suppress the replication of the virus in cell culture models. Also, sometimes the viruses hijack the human machinery to replicate and propagate from cell to cell. And these drugs, by slowing down the human metabolism, can help reduce the spread of the virus from cell to cell. But again, I'd like to highlight that these are theoretical benefits, which uh, we are excited about, but they need to be proven and tested in a clinical study before we start using this drug for COVID-19. So in the same vein is theoretical treatments. Recently, there was some preliminary data about potential vaccines. What are some considerations that need to be made before taking a potential vaccine for individuals with TSC and or LAM? Yeah, the vaccine data coming out, at least the preliminary reports coming out, looked quite encouraging. But as with all reports, especially in the era of COVID-19, where things get released or hyped up before uh, the full picture comes into view, I would urge everyone to have cautious optimism, if you will. We need to, first of all, wait until the studies get published and all of the data is available. And that is critical because in addition to efficacy of the vaccine, you also want to know about the side effects of the vaccine. And so it is imperative that we look at that safety data very carefully. The other thing for patients who are on sirolimus or everolimus to keep in mind is that as a general rule of thumb, by being on these medications, you cannot take live vaccines, meaning vaccines which are weakened form of the virus, because you theoretically have a risk of acquiring the disease if you're taking a live vaccine. Now, thankfully, all of the vaccines being developed for COVID-19 are using a newer technology, which is uh, not giving you a live vaccine. So that uh, risk is not there with the COVID-19 vaccines being developed. The uh, last question that is something to keep in the back of our mind is that if you're on sirolimus or abrolimus, does being on these drugs alter the response that your immune system will garner 
to a vaccine, with the concern being, will you mount less of a response as opposed to a patient who is not on these drugs and has a full immune system? The answer to this question is not known. This, this answer will need to be studied. But in general, this concern is somewhat mitigated by the fact that even if you mount some response, that some response is probably better than no response. So if the vaccine is safe and effective, uh, one should still err on the side of taking it rather than not taking it. Shifting gears a little bit, the TS Alliance has partnered with several TSC clinics across the country to conduct a larger scale natural history study about COVID-19 in individuals with TSC and LAM. What types of questions are researchers hoping to answer through this larger study? You're right. And as you mentioned, the Tuberous Sclerosis Alliance is leading the charge in this natural history database collection where all patients with tuberous sclerosis or LAM who acquire COVID are uh, welcome to provide their data so we can better understand how these subgroup of patients respond to COVID-19. There are many questions one could potentially answer with this kind of an endeavor. I'll give you some examples. You know, a question that commonly gets asked to us by patients is what is the experience of other TSC? patients or other LAM patients who have had COVID-19. And really the only way to answer that question is through this kind of a database project where we can go back and say, these are the 25 patients that we know who have had COVID-19 and this is what their course looked like. The other questions you could potentially answer with this is, are the risk factors uh, from being on serolimus or everolimus, like we discussed a few minutes prior. The third question, which is very important to answer is, are there long-term effects of COVID-19? That's another unknown in this whole virus and that this kind of natural history project will help us answer those questions. What is involved for people interested in participating in the study? Yeah, for people interested in participating, it should be relatively straightforward. They need to contact Joanne Nagakawa at the Tuberous Sclerosis Alliance and Joanne will get the consent from those patients and take on the task of getting their medical records. They might need to help a little uh, with getting access to the records, but that uh, we are hoping is not needed for every patient and that it can all be handled at the level of the tuberous sclerosis alliance. And for the LAM patients, you are certainly welcome to contact the LAM Foundation and they can put you in touch with Joanne and the folks at Tuberous Sclerosis Alliance to get you started on this endeavor. Once researchers have that medical data, what are they looking at in that medical data to start answering some of those questions that you've proposed? Yeah, you know, it, it starts with getting a sense of the overall cohort. Uh, what are the demographics? Are these uh, mostly young people? Are these mostly older people? Were, are more people who are on serolimus or everolimus catching COVID-19 versus patients who are not. How their course goes, whether being on serolimus or everolimus or are these drugs held and what were the reasons these were being held. There are other medical comorbidities that are impacting the outcomes. So this is these are a broad set of questions. Considering everything is so new with COVID-19, you know, this natural history database often serves as, as a wide net where we try to gather as much information as we can because as time passes, more critical questions come along that you then have the ability to answer. Realistically, how many participants would be needed in this sort of a study to get a good representative sample and make larger general conclusions about how COVID-19 affects people with TSC and LAM and their risk of contracting it? Well, there are two aspects to this question. One is the general question related to how many patients do you need to ascertain the risk of whether this community is at increased risk. I don't know that there is 
a answer to that. The general answer to that question is uh, the more number of patients that are in the database, the better it is, the more confident we can be about the inferences we make. Regarding the question of can this database help us determine if TSC lamb patients are at increased risk of catching COVID-19 as compared to the general population, I'm not sure that fundamentally that question is answerable because what you would try to do is, let's say that there are 100 patients in the world with TSC lamb or TSC and 10 of them have disease. So you could say that 10% of the TSC patients got COVID-19 as opposed to a million other people in the world and 100 got it. So i.e. we believe TSC patients are at increased risk, right? This You are trying to get at this kind of a simple math and it is, I'm not sure that the populations are comparable. For example, patients with TSC may be more actively taking precautions to prevent themselves from COVID-19 because they are aware of their underlying risk factors as opposed to the general population. So this is a long-winded explanation just to say that, you know, we, we shouldn't look at the database being able to answer this exact question, but there are a lot of other important questions that the database can answer. And one of those questions could potentially be that for those that do contract COVID-19, what is the severity of their experience with it versus the general population, for example? Yes, and that would be a very important question to answer because as patients ask this question, to be able to provide them direct evidence that these are 20 patients with TSC and this was their what their course looked like would be very comforting for patients and family members. I can say that this also goes to the first question that you had asked, by the way, and I forgot to <laughs> mention is I am aware of a little over a dozen patients across the world with either TSC or LAM who have had COVID-19. And to my knowledge, all of them have done well and recovered. So what would your pitch be to encourage people to participate in this kind of research? And is there any concern about people's privacy? Yeah, when, when participating in any such natural history study, really the biggest and perhaps the only potential risk to consider is the uh, risk for privacy. But uh, it's worth mentioning that this is this study is being conducted on the backdrop of the tuberous sclerosis complex natural history database, which is a pre-existent multi-center study with all the usual safety precautions that one carefully takes to ensure that patient privacy is protected to the extent that it is humanely possible. So in general, I categorize these endeavors or all these kinds of research projects as essentially minimal risk research projects for the participants because there are no adverse effects of an intervention or a drug to consider. And generally, the safety measures for privacy are very stringent and thought of very carefully. Finally, as the pandemic continues to drag on and seemingly things are getting worse across the country, what general recommendations do you have for people with TSC and LAM to protect themselves over the next coming months? Yes, some of this is going to sound boring. Some of this is going to sound like something you probably are tired of hearing. But the most important things continue to remain social distancing and hand hygiene and wearing a mask. Those are the tenets of protecting oneself from catching COVID-19. And I would just urge everyone to continue doing the same. We completely understand that everyone is probably tired to some extent 
of doing the same thing and not seeing light at the end of the tunnel. I'd just point out that there is some light at the end of this tunnel. This winter appears to be a difficult one, but there are promising developments with regards to vaccines. We understand a lot more about the biology of this virus now than we did in the spring. The outcomes of patients who are getting hospitalized with COVID-19 are better. We are more comfortable. We know better how to treat and manage these patients. And there is every reason to believe that as spring and summer 2021 roll around, that we would be a lot closer to getting over this pandemic than we are now. So it is only a matter of few more months just keep doing what you've been doing for a few more months and we will all get through this. That's a great optimistic note to end on and, and good advice to continue to reemphasize because as you said, it's said over and over again, but there's a reason for that and that's the best way to protect yourself. Nishant, thank you so much for taking time to talk to me. Thank you for sharing more information about the study and hopefully we will look forward to a day when we can all move past this in the next couple of months. Thank you, Dan. My pleasure. I look forward to that day as well. My thanks again to Dr. Gupta for sharing his insight on the state of the virus, how those with TSC and LAM can stay safe, and the important natural history study looking to better understand COVID-19's impact on those with TSC and LAM. As mentioned in the opening, I'll share a link in the show notes with more information on the study and how you can get involved. Following my interview with Dr. Gupta, with news that both Pfizer and Moderna had promising initial data from their vaccine candidates, I reached back out to Nishant to ask about what he thinks of these two candidates and their safety, especially for those with TSC and LAM. Here's his response. Both Pfizer and Moderna vaccines are using a new mRNA-based technique to generate portions of the spike protein to generate an immune response. This is not a live virus and is safe for patients with TSC and LAM, regardless of their use of sirolimus or everolimus. Thank you, Dr. Gupta, for that update. Finally, before I wrap up this month's episode, I wanted to make three quick announcements. First, next Tuesday, December 1st, is Giving Tuesday, a global generosity movement unleashing the power of people and organizations to transform their community and the world. If you'd like to support the TS Alliance on Giving Tuesday, we will be sharing ways you can show your support on our social media channels and by email. So if you don't already do so, Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and subscribe to our emails on our website. Second, as you are doing all your holiday shopping online this year, you can support the TS Alliance by using Amazon Smile. To get started, simply go to smile.amazon.com and indicate that you want to support the National Tuberous Sclerosis Association. Then, with every purchase you make, Amazon donates to the TS Alliance. We've created a guide on getting started, and I'll be sure to share this in the show notes. Finally, December 1st through 7th is Infantile Spasms Awareness Week. Infantile spasms are a rare but very serious type of seizure. Infantile spasms are caused by a condition in a baby's brain and include repetitive but often subtle movements, such as jerking of the midsection, dropping of the head, raising of the arms, or wide-eyed blinks. IS is often misdiagnosed as colic, reflux, or startle reflux. These types of seizures should be treated as a medical emergency. 
For the sixth year, the TS Alliance is partnering with over 30 organizations in the Infantile Spasms Action Network to raise awareness of these seizures and what parents and caregivers should do if they suspect their baby has IS. We'll be releasing a special early episode of TSC Now in December all about infantile spasms and IS Awareness Week. And in the meantime, you can learn more now by going to infantilespasms.org. That will do it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for listening to TSC Now. Our theme song is Take Charge by Young Presidents. You can find all our episodes at tsalliance.org slash tscnow. Thanks for listening.